The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Nobody black is surprised right now, but it still hurts nonetheless. You know, it still stings. No matter how much you prepare yourself for the eventuality based on experience, based on time and time again, um, this country proving, this country and its systems proving and showing that our lives don't matter to them. Um, it's still a gut punch. And when I watched the proceedings and the announcement that one of the three officers involved in the killing of Breonna Taylor back in March was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment in the first degree, a fourth degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison, although prison is not mandatory. The thing that struck me is not only in, in the initial proceeding, not only did they not say her name, they didn't so much as say her initials. The charge had nothing to do with her death. It was about wanton endangerment for shooting into other surrounding apartments. They completely ignored her death. So this was in some ways more insulting in a, in a weird way, more insulting than just a simple, hey, we didn't find any reason to bring charges against these officers. It's like, oh, yeah, they did something wrong, but it had nothing to do with Breonna Taylor. Otherwise, they were doing their job. And I get so sick and tired, of Mike, of, of when police shootings happen and police inevitably get off, going back to quoting W.E.B. Du Bois, that a system cannot fail those who it was never designed to protect. I get so sick and tired of going back to that. And I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, as I know you are. It wasn't yep. a surprise, man, but it hurt nonetheless. When they first, when, when the proceedings were going on, I'm like, are they talking about a different case? Did they, go, did they cut to this too early? Is this some other court proceedings that we were in on and not Breonna Taylor? Because there was no mention of this 26-year-old first responder's life who ironically, sadly, and tragically received no aid at the time of her death, Michael. Right. Mike, I'm not going to be long on it. I'm not going to be long on it because of what you said. There's a, a deep sadness. And, you know, there are many black Americans who, uh, who deal with the sadness and they cover it up and cover it up. And so that's, that's part of the reason some people are able to go day to day because they compartmentalize or uh, they repress some very raw feelings and some raw realities that are part of our society today. So, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about it long because I, I really. I don't even know how I'm gonna react on the air. To tell you the truth, I'm just being 100% honest with you. Um, yeah, not a surprise. 
not a surprise. And I think we got to get beyond the point, Mike, of of trying to uh, of wagging our fingers at people or explaining the situation. The situation is clear. Yeah, it's clear, and it was it, it was clear long before you took your first breath and long before I took mine. You know, uh, it, whether it was Frederick Douglass talking about it years ago or James Baldwin with the fire next time. I mean, on and on. There have been songs, there have been poems, there have been sermons, uh, there have been protests. So I think we all should pretty much get it. That's not, that's not where I'm going with this. I think uh, it really is a matter of conscience. It's a matter of humanity. And uh, I know one of the slogans is we're done dying. Since we're done dying, I, I think it is a is a time of dismantling some of the laws that exist that protect those who, who really should not be protected, those who have not uh, done their jobs with conscience, done, done their jobs with integrity and principle. Uh, it is time to dismantle some of those laws. Kentucky has them. Many states have them. If you go and you investigate them, you say, well, that's not just. That's not fair. That's not how a democracy works. And so until we start looking at it beyond... Uh, just a, a isolated incident or, you know, this is just it just happened this time. It was just a coincidence or whatever. No, until we start looking at it deeply, I'm going to continue to be in this situation. I, let me tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, just being completely honest. I used to live uh, I, I used to live in an area. It's pretty affluent area. Um, the diversity was the diversity in the area was, well, we got the Hollies. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like we, we, we were the we, you know what I'm saying? We, we were the yeah. diversity. OK, so in this yeah. school district, I remember, you know, you had these coffees with the principal. So you have these coffees with the principal and everybody talks about their concerns. And I remember this is right after uh, Tamir Rice uh, was shot in Cleveland uh, on, a, on a playground with with a gun that was out. He had a gun. It was reported he had a gun. Kid had a gun at the park. The gun was not real. Uh, inexperienced officer comes in there just shooting and takes his life. So I'm at this coffee with the principal in a different neighborhood, and I'm thinking, what I'm hearing right now does not match up with what's going on in other parts of the country. I remember one parent breaking down in tears. You know why she was breaking down, Mike? I mean, this would be, this would be comical if it weren't so uh, sad and true. She was breaking down because she wanted to know if uh, the gluten-free options would be in the cafeteria this year like they were last year. She didn't see the gluten-free options. And, you know, that was like the big scandal. And I was thinking, what would happen in this community if a child was on a playground and got shot by a police officer and killed? That community yeah. would go crazy. They would go crazy. They wouldn't stand for it. This same community, they talk about gluten-free stuff. Yeah. And if there's a loss of life, they take it seriously. We're not taken seriously enough, as you said off the top. We're not taken, we're not valued enough. And that's where we are. And until we address yeah. that, it's, it's kind of like, where are we going? We're not really having an honest conversation. Well, I, I said this before. You know, my humanity, your humanity, the people that look like us, our humanity is not a conversation. It's not up for discussion. It's not a debate. There are no two sides to whether or not we deserve to be treated, you know, like human beings, deserve to have the same rights and privileges as everybody else. But, you know, going back to Tamir Rice, you know the old saying, in, in America, a black man is a boy and a black boy is a man. And what yeah. bothers me about the job that these officers are doing, this, this, this 
these charges of wanton endangerment in the first degree, these joke charges brought forth by the grand jury and delivered by Attorney General Daniel Cameron, you know, Mitch McConnell's pet, I mean, I'm sorry, protege, um, you know, it, all it does is condone and confirm that these officers did their job. Like, when it says to protect and serve, it should have a parenthetical that says, but not black people. You know, um, it's, they're saying it's legal, and, and it, it's always legal. It's always justifiable. It's always rational. It's always understandable Yeah, yeah. for always an officer or officers to fear yeah. for their lives when in contact with black people, armed or unarmed. That, that narrative, that story, that, that, that line of thinking, it always plays. I feared for my life. He or she resistant, resisted. He or she disrespected us. Or I didn't like the tone of voice. Or I didn't like, you know, they didn't hold, they didn't hold their hands in the proper position. They didn't follow instructions. When we've seen the alternative happen time and time again with white people taken alive when they are clearly threats to the officers and those around, around them. So add sleeping in your apartment. It was already on the list. But add sleeping in your apartment yeah. to the long list of things that we just can't do as black people in this country freely. I mean, what would you do? What would you do if somebody uh, comes, into your, comes into your apartment at midnight and you're a licensed gun owner? The same owner, thing. The same thing. You're out licensed. Out of fired off. And you're th- you know context. Like, her, her boyfriend had the context of, hey, her ex-boyfriend might be coming in here to do something. That might be her, it might be her ex-boyfriend at the door. And I just want to make sure this doesn't go crazy. So her boyfriend knew about the ex. The police knew about the ex. But think about this. They were sloppy. As I said to you uh, uh, last week uh, when the settlement came down, $12 million settlement, this is... And this is like, you know, I kind of want to hit myself sometimes, Mike. I'm, 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 I'm betrayed by journalistic training. I'm, I'm, I'm betrayed by, you know, growing up in the Midwest and having and being raised by sensible folk, by, by ra- being raised by folk who had common sense. So I keep trying to appeal to common sense, but I guess it doesn't matter. Common sense says if you're in a job and you are, and this is a raid, you better have the T's crossed and the I's dotted. Your information better be current. You better not be acting off of stuff that just is no longer relevant. So the boyfriend did what he was supposed to do. Oh, I know her boyfriend's a threat. The ex-boyfriend's a threat. I'm going to be prepared. The police were sloppy. In in addition to being murderous, they were sloppy across the board, and it cost the city of Louisville $12 $12 million, and it cost Breonna Taylor her life. Sloppiness. Well, let's talk, well, well, let's talk about the boyfriend for a second, because the, the, the boyfriend or even the boyfriend in the house and even the ex-boyfriend have been, again, used to justify and even vilify Breonna Taylor, because we're never innocent. There's a lot of talk about innocence until proven guilty. We're never innocent. See, we get, yep. we get charged, tried, convicted, and executed in a matter of eight minutes and 46 seconds or less, as the case may be. Whereas we can't so much, time and time again, we're we're denied an arrest, charges, forget about even, I mean, it's a victory when it comes to justice for fill in the blank. It's a victory to even get to the point of a trial, let alone a possible conviction. And that's whether you're a police officer or some so-called neighborhood watchman or just vigilante who's who's got it out to go and, and hunt the nearest black person. 
Okay, so regardless, it's always a matter of, hey, you know what? The, the, the idea that we are naturally violent and out of control and need to be policed aggressively, if not eradicated, that always plays. It's always acceptable. And now, what's, what you're going to see now is the shift to watching the reaction. Because the conversation is always about the reaction. It's never about the root cause. So now we're going to have a conversation about the reaction in Louisville. Because even this week, we saw this come. Yeah. Not only did we see this coming just throughout our country's history, we saw it coming when they declared a state of emergency, when they implemented a citywide right. curfew, when they activated the National Guard, which only gets activated when it comes to black people responding to police brutality. And so now, there's because when people talk about peace, what they really mean is quiet. Okay, they're not. It's certainly not talking about yeah. justice. They mean quiet. Right. And so now, whatever happens, and here's another quote I'm sick and tired of going back to: that the riot, a riot, the riot is the language of the unheard. But they still ain't right. hearing us. But they still ain't hearing us. And so now it's well, going to be about: oh, look at these rioters, these peaceful protests. So think about just the circle. Think about the full. How, think about how twisted that logic is. Is we beget state-sponsored violence on bodies of black and brown men and women. If you respond in any way other than, okay, no problem, keep doing what you're doing. If you respond by pushing back, then it's like, oh, you're being violent. So now we got to come in with militarized police, police, excuse me, I got to it. add yeah. violence on top of violence. It's an endless cycle. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, it, it's a cycle. That's why, that's why I said I'm in a, in a, in a place of a reflection. There's some uh, quietness in here right now. And I think part of it is, I'm just going to that next level and in, in thinking of the strategy. I, I think protest mm. is extremely effective. I, I think protest is a part of American history. Long before there was a Black Lives Matter, uh, long before uh, there was an MLK and, and a Malcolm X, I mean, years and years in this country, everything that has happened in this country, everything has been the result of of protest. I'm looking at something and say, this should not be. I'm going to push back against it and create something else. So protest has its way. It is a very American thing. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. It's a very American thing. So, but maybe we need to add another layer of strategy here and start doing the so-called boring work. Okay. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Boring is doing some work in the uh, marbled hallways and these 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 libraries and and taking apart these laws that exist that have existed for years and looking at them in a 21st century context and saying these laws do not serve us anymore and we've got to tear these down. This I, I, I keep saying it. Don't get caught up in the in the the political response or the political framing of it because. You know, politicians are, 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 are self-serving, too. All politicians, all of them. I'm not just talking about the Republicans. Democrats, too. This is very self-serving. They'll take the temperature of what you're talking about, and they'll see how they can use it to their advantage. This is beyond uh, a political conversation. This is about the people in the streets who are looking at something who I am hopeful are fed up with it and are trying to make some steps, take some, uh, make some moves to kind of dismantle things that no longer serve a democracy. Yeah. Well, that's all I can say about it. That's democracy. all I can say about it. I mean, like, this yeah, is, no. I, and we knew it, we knew it last, we knew it was coming. We knew it was yeah, coming, right? Did. 
Yeah, right. it, it's still you prepare for it and you expect it, but just when you hear it, it, it seems like it's no matter how it's delivered, it's always delivered in a unique way just to kind of remind yeah. you of, of our of our place, you know, right. in this society. I mean, we you know we talked before the show, man. And I was going to say about democracy, um, whether it's the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, or now the miscarriage of justice when it comes to uh, Breonna Taylor. Just all the more reason for us to march to the polls. You know, uh, it's 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 now or never. You know what I mean? It's just that much more motivation, as if we needed it. That much more motivation to protest uh, at the polls. But what I was going to say, and also everybody, was, and you got to, everybody's got to be called out too. Everybody's got to be called out. You got to, you got to look. See, because the easy thing, I said I was done with it, but here I am again. I knew you had more. That's why I knew you I, had I know. more. I knew you. I know. I know you. I knew you had more. I know. Um, it's so easy, Mike, to just have it be far off. Uh, I, hey, let, let's just look at uh, let's look at our national politics. Uh, let's look at the president. Let's yeah. look at the senators, and you just blame them, yeah. and they are part of it. They're complicit. Oh no! But All politics local, local poli politics, local yeah. politics. Mm. Ask those questions of local politicians. So where do you stand? Yeah. Like these are, and, and I tell I tell my students this all the time. I, okay, this, I'll just give you a, a, a quick um, uh, student, a story from the academy. So last uh, semester, I was teaching, one of the courses I was teaching was a, a basic news writing and reporting course. And one of their assignments was to get a government story. And I remember what, a couple of the students saying, well, you know, what if, uh, you know, if I go to the state house and, and, you know, they don't call me back or what if they don't email me back? And I said, do you understand? Forget about the golden dome of this building. Forget about the, the beautiful architecture and, and the important people who walk in in suits and, and expensive, uh, you know, expensive clothes. This is for the people. And we've lost sight of that. This is for the people. This is supposed to they are supposed to be serving you. They're supposed to be answering your questions. They're supposed to be answering your phone calls and your emails. It's unacceptable. They're not doing the job if they're not answering yep. your questions. So we've got a part in the uh, part of this, and the part is, ask people where do you stand. I'm I'm very yeah. concerned about this as a citizen. So you, you've been elected. What's your What's your position on it? Yeah. No, I mean we waited uh, over six months and I think 191 days for nothing. Um, and, and yeah. look, we got more to say about it, but at least for now, we're going to put a pin in it. And before the show started, we were trying to decide, like, look, short of, because it, talking about sports or talking about anything else right now feels somewhat inappropriate. But short of, you know, yeah. pulling the Kenny Smith and just unmiking and walking off and saying, we're not doing a show today, it just didn't feel right to try to, you know, transition into any other subject matter. So with that, we're going to put, not only put a pin in it, we'll come back later to this subject of, um, you know, of Breonna Taylor. All right, so we just started the show talking about the disappointing but not surprising news regarding the charges or lack thereof as it relates to the death of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, meanwhile, feels pretty fitting, Michael, that today uh, Rolling Stone magazine released its updated list of the greatest 500 albums, the 500 greatest 500. albums of all time, 500. I mean, this, we can we can spend a week on this list, but I want to focus in on number one. Number one is from 1971, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." Let me say that again. 
from 1971, coming up on 50 years, if my math is right. And it is the definition of timeless. And under the category of timely, I'll just pick out one line. Everybody knows the words. Picket signs, picket lines and picket signs don't punish me with brutality. There is not an album that holds up better in these times that we're in right now than Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. So I'm not going to argue with it being the number one album of all time. Your thoughts? You know, it, you know, it, Mike, just looking at that list there, there are a few things. It's a great, uh, yeah. They're, 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 so, as you said, we can really we can really get into this for a long time. I, I think I know uh, what you're focusing in on. I know you, you're going to respond to what I said, but I'm sure you're going to focus in on number four. Songs of the Kid Life. I, I got. I, I got. I think you're focusing on your man Stevie Wonder. I know. Hey, you listen, might. listen. I know, I, I, you know, I happen to think. I happen to think that is the the best album ever. You know how I love. You know how I feel about Stevie. I love Stevie Wonder. Uh, my favorite. Yeah. My, my favorite artist. All right. So, um, but just looking at this list, I the, the first thing I looked at. You know, you know that old joke is I don't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. So I, I'm looking <laughs> at this. I'm looking at these the, the top ten. Uh-huh. And I got I got nine of the top ten. Like that's my okay. That's my music, and I'm thinking that can't be that can't be right. I mean, I've, I oh, think I got pretty good on? musical taste. You think you, you think that? it's too spot on? Is your concern? You think it's too spot on? It's too accurate? Yeah, I think I'm wondering if it's because everything in there, the most recent album in the top ten. Uh, you know, fact check me if I'm wrong, uh, Gary and Courtney. I think the most recent one is number ten. Uh, yeah, Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill. Yeah, shout okay. out to Lauren Hill. It, yeah. And, and okay, and that album is 22 years old, so mm-hmm. it's kind of tilted toward people of a certain age. I never really thought of myself that way, but yeah, um, I, I think well, that's just I the top maybe, ten. They up, it's, it's a lot more I know, contemporary but the 10, throughout but, the throughout the list. Yeah, but the top ten, the top ten. So mm-hmm. what you're saying, okay, this is music, but that's that's beside the point. The other thing is, I think it's so appropriate. And I love this. I, somebody should use this as inspiration. I'm using it as inspiration. What's so great about number one, Mike, as you said beautifully, eloquently, I like how it's timeless and how it speaks to issues that, if they're not corrected, uh, they continue to, they, they're passed from generation to generation until somebody decides that we're not going to put up with this anymore. So he wrote that in 1970. Well, he, that came out in 1971. That could have come out last year and been just as relevant. But what's so inspiring is that Barry Gordy kind of resisted Marvin Gaye going in this direction. Like Marvin Gaye, they wanted him. They wanted him to keep doing, uh, you know, bubblegum pop. He had a beautiful voice, uh, very charismatic, good looking man. So they wanted him to continue to do these songs that made people feel good, not necessarily making people uncomfortable speaking to. What was outside? Well, the check window. this out. And so, well, check I'm, this glad, out. I'm glad that Couple he got that. Uh, I'm glad he was able to produce an album, even though he didn't get that support initially. Well, a couple of things. Just FYI, the most contemporary album is number 17, Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Um, but going back to the story behind what's going that 2010? on. 2010? Uh, 2010, yeah. 2010. Okay, all right. Good memory. Um, so, and, and actually, Rolling Stone lays this out. In May of 1969, Ronaldo Obi Benson the Four Tops bass singer, he was watching TV coverage of hundreds of club-wielding cops breaking up the People's Park, a protest hub in Berkeley. 
as they, as I think it's the book of Ecclesiastes. There are no new things under the sun. That's you right. know what I mean? The more things change, Go the more, ahead, Mike the more Smith. unfortunately stay the same. Um, Go ahead, preach that but, sermon, brother. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you but man, it. I mean, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, Prince, it's nice to see Prince at number eight. I think they added Sign of the Times, which is my favorite Prince album. Number eight is Purple Rain, but I think Sign of the Times was added to this updated list, which I don't know how it was left off in the first place. Yeah, how but was it just it got me off? thinking, look, picking out, uh, picking out one album, man. Oh, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, number 19. I said the earliest, most contemporary album was number 17. Number 19 is 2015's To Pimp a Butterfly. To Pimp a, bu- to pimp a Butterfly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but, the I mean, list, man, like, the if list you, is if, good. If it's you had list. one album, you got one album. What is, I mean, like, if you had to pick one, and I know that's hard, but just in the moment right here, and your answer might change later today, it might change tomorrow. But sitting here right here right now, what's your number one album? Songs in the Key of Life. Songs in the Key of oh, Life. Okay. Now, right. this... Yeah. And you know why that's number one? Okay, now I'm cheating on that one. Just yeah. like uh, Sign of the Times, Sign of the Times is a double album. So is Songs in the Key of Life. So if, you know, that, that, that question, hey, you got to go somewhere, you can only take one with you. Well, the great yeah. thing about it is, one, it's Stevie Wonder. Two, you've got a lot of uh, choices. You've got a lot of places to go. See, Songs in the Key of Life has, you've got wedding songs on there. You've got songs you can dance yeah. to. You've got songs that make you think. You've got songs that make you cry. I mean, you, it's, the, it's the, really, it's, it's an appropriately titled album. You know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, years ago, I wonder how um, Stevie Wonder feels about it now. But years ago, he said the most beautiful words he's ever put on a page. As, was right? The song, as, right. Most, yeah. That's my yeah. most beautiful song. And I think Inner Visions is on that list somewhere, right? Top 30, top 40 uh, on that list? Uh, I think it's on there. Not, not sure. Not sure. But um, he, said a, he said of Inner Visions... See, I feel this. Man, we could talk about this. We really could talk about this for a I long know, time. I know. I want to, I want to said, uplift the mood. Yeah. Stevie said of Inner Visions that it was so personal to him with all the things that were going on in society. He didn't feel like it was the time to come out and with this, hey, baby, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Just like yeah. the sweet stuff. Yeah. He wanted to really uh, get under the hood of, of society and really speak to some real issues. He said, it's so personal to me. I don't care if it only sells five copies. That's a good place to be. That's the it? point. That is the point. Uh, right. they, the Beatles have, I think, three albums in the top 25, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, Notorious B.I.G. Ready to Die, number 22. Uh, but, man, if I had one album, see, I love you broke it. You break it down from a scholarly perspective, you know, construction of an album. And, and obviously, Stevie, arguably the greatest artist of all time. But I mean, I just that's why I, I think top five MCs, I always fix it to favorite five MCs. So it's like a top album. Let's. Mine, you gave me one album, and it's one actually album. the album got? that my it's actually the album that my youngest daughter goes to sleep to every night. She's come to love it. Uh Maya goes to sleep to it. I love Supreme. Coltrane. Love mm. Supreme. One album. Mm. It's it, it is it is not about I I'm not sophisticated enough to go into music theory or 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 anything mm. like that. For me, it's just about how it makes me feel. It's just about how I feel listening to a Love Supreme. If I had one album. It's that one. If you gave me a bonus album, I'm taking Bob Marley's Live, 1978, Babylon by Bus. That's the one I'm taking. That's, that's the two. live album I'm taking with me. Maya goes to sleep to a Love Supreme? A Love Supreme every night. Maya, I'm she telling tells, you. She says, she says, Alexa, play John Coltrane. You go ahead, Maya. You go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I talked I talked to you about preaching earlier. Don't get me don't get me preaching on a Love Supreme, my That's, that's a spiritual this. album. That's a we spiritual can't do album. This. 
The man dedicated the album to God. He said, yeah. God, I prayed for the ability to make people happy through music. It was granted, thank you, God, which he actually plays on the saxophone late on the album. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. I, 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 did. I wanted to get you started because I know how you feel about this. All right, let me tell you all this. Let me tell you all this. So one time, and uh, Michael Smith, he, his memory's shaky, so he may not remember this. A little bit. But, uh, a little bit. Where is the Love Supreme, by the way, on this? Gary, where is the Love Supreme on this countdown? I know it, it's in the top 500. Go ahead, Mike. What were you about to say? It, it better be in the top 500. It should be. It makes me wonder, like, what, what, what's, what the criteria is. Are we looking at, you know, how do you, how do you determine the best 500? There's so many genres. I mean, so much to, to sort through on this. But one time I was coming back from uh, Baltimore. I missed, uh, I, I missed my plane. I had one, I had one CD with me. That's how long ago it was. I had one CD with me. That <laughs> happened to be a Love Supreme. So I, I rented a car. I'm driving back from Baltimore to Boston, and I'm listening to a Love Supreme over and over. And at, at some point, there's a vision. I got a vision. Of course. <laughs> I think I, I think I probably called Mike Smith at like 6:30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, I got to explain the Love Supreme to you. I figured it out. Yeah. This is yeah. what he's trying to say. Hey, man, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm trying to go to sleep. It's all good. It, 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 Coach Ray will do what, that. What's the number? What number is it? I, 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 it's not in the top 50. I'd have to look through it, uh, maybe search it. I mean, but we got we to gotta investigate this. Um, but, uh, but number one, again, what's going on, Marvin Gage? It's, it's, it's so timeless, so timeless. Um, perfect album. Um, speaking of what's going on, I want to I want to go into your wheelhouse again. What the hell is going on with Bill Belichick? Yeah, you know, like we, we're long past trying to figure out how he's dressing. I mean, he's made cut off the Man. sleeves, cut off your hoodie, fashionable. He's even doing commercials now in this cut off hoodie. I mean, it's it's not fashionable. I shouldn't say fashionable. It's mainstream. This was a different level of no, you know what's to give this morning. Come on. That's what you just, that is like, that is, that is, Bill Belichick is a move. That is, that is 2020 in a nutshell. All of us are disheveled. All of us are tore up from the floor. up. All of us in this pandemic don't care what we're wearing. And, and somebody, I forgot who it was, tweeted, that's what it looks like when you thought the Zoom call was a phone call. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many mornings. Yeah. That's Nora, that's Nora Princiati from, from the Boston yeah. Globe with that tweet. Uh, yeah, that's a great that's, tweet. That's good. That's good. So, that's accurate. What's up with your boy? Get your mask. Get your mask. Hey, hey, look. So sometimes he gets to the point where, you know, people have to remind him (laughs) just to do the basic things. Now, he's got... uh, I mean, because you know he didn't... I'm sorry to cut you off. You know he didn't shower. You know he didn't shower with that on. You don't get out the shower. Yeah. You don't get out the shower (laughs) and put that on. Hey, man. Like, that's... He is not clean. He is not... There's no hygiene going oh, on right there. No, 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 he's not clean. He's got a great assistant. And so his assistant tells him all kinds of things right before he goes to his press conference. So his, his assistant tells him, hey, this is, this is what they're talking about today. Be prepared to answer this question. And sometimes the assistant says, this is a true story now. Sometimes the assistant says ever so gently, mm, you might want to run a brush or a comb, <laughs> you know, through that. You might want to do that. Yeah. Now, telling him to shower during football season, I, I don't know. That's a coin flip. They, they, Bill Belichick does just some things that are just a little bit different. Now, we haven't even talked about this. I remembered just before the show started, back in the day, and that wasn't even that long ago, three, four years ago, Mike, Bill showed up at a press conference, 
with a black eye. Hey, man, we supposed to pretend like we don't see that? <laughs> it's like, right. what happened? What's the story there? What, I mean, what forget happened? about who's playing. Is forget it, about who's hurt. Because with the, I mean, with the yeah. sweatshirt, it's like it got, I mean, it got, there it's, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, seriously. There. Like, hey. it, did the jugs machine go wrong? I mean, you know. What like, happened? Honestly. And, just like, and, you, and then and you can't ask you him because what happened? Mike, you've been there. Right. You've been there. You covered him oh, for, for, for a few front years. Row. So, I'm just, I'm, hey, I'm, Mike, I'm Mike Smith. Hey, right. I got a question. That's it. You got, any, you got any questions about the Dolphins? Yeah. You want to talk about the No, you're not, you're not getting anything out of that. You're not getting anything out of That's that. It. But back to the sweatshirt he has on, like, he looked like he had been mauled. With the, I mean, there are holes in it. It's that sweatshirt that he had on this morning. You, you, bro, you got to retire that. You got to start washing clothes. I mean, excuse me, washing the car with that. That's the type of rag that's in a in a bucket in your closet, and that is used to like polish things or dry off something or just Absolutely. like you don't. Yeah, and we know it's, we know he could clean oh, up. Oh, that's great. You know, part of me was thinking. Part of me was thinking though, like, oh, and, and listen, I respect it though. I gotta say, I respect it. I would, I aspire to get to a point in life why I literally, don't care. literally, like, people, people people say, oh, I don't care what people think. No, Bill Belichick legit doesn't care what people think. The rest of us say it and try to live up to it. He doesn't care. And at a, at a certain point, I said to myself, man, is that is is that a subtle commentary? To the media about just how little he values the press conference. Like, no, wait. Well, you already knew that. Like that. But, but, but he's, that, that's right? whole, he's walking around all day looking like that. That's incredible. Yeah, you know what that is, Mike? That is hashtag job security. This is what job security looks like. You know, I, 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 exactly I want right. to show up at the job. Right. I'm the best. Because he is in, not dressing the, for the job I'm, that he wants. Right. <laughs> I'm the best. In, I'm the best in the profession. Here it right, is, right, and this is this right. is what it looks like. And the players will listen right. to me. I'll have this on. Right. Hey, don't be distracted. Right. What are you distracted by? Why are you looking at the holes in my shirt? Right. You know your assignments. <laughs> right. You ready to play the Raiders? Right. To play the Raiders? I just want to know what happened. I just want to know what happened that got those holes in, in the shirt. Like, what exactly did you go through on your way to wherever you were going? And you and what and what about that sweatshirt? That particular sweatshirt is so precious that you didn't say, "Let me just get another one." Like, you just threw that one away. Like, I get cutting off the sleeves. But why are you keeping that one? Is it is it battle scar? Did you go through something in that sweatshirt? Like I mean, I I just honestly I don't get it. Um, I'll tell you. But, um, serious... but you know, we, but you, oh, you know ahead. one thing about one thing about Bill Belichick, and you know this uh, uh, yeah. from being around him. What a historian yeah, a long time he ago. is. Long, long time ago. And yeah, how that's much exactly right. You're going right where I wanted you to go. Yeah. That's right. And how, how much respect he has uh, for football history. I mean. Yes. When he first took over the Patriots, I think the first year he took over the Patriots, they played the Hall of Fame game that year. And not just it wasn't just the game. Uh, he spent some time going to the back of the Hall of Fame, looking at the books mm -hmm. from the 1920s and 1930s just to understand yep. Yep. how the game got to this point. And one of the players I know that he has great respect for uh, is Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers, a Hall of Fame running back Absolutely. with the Chicago Absolutely. Bears. Uh, dynamic dynamic football player playing on a team that didn't have a lot going for it, quite honestly. He had yeah. him, and he could yeah. do it all. I mean, he could return oh my goodness. punts. He could, he could run the ball. I mean, he just was As good an all-purpose back as it's great ever football been. Player. No, Mike, Michael, that's, that's where I wanted to go. So you, you took the words right out of my mouth because if I were at the press conference, and I think, I think we heard of Gail Sayers passing at 77. I think we heard it after – Bill met with the media, I believe. I don't know if he was asked about it today, but whenever he's asked about it, you're right. That's when Bill is at his best, is talking about pro football history. So I know that he's going to speak glowingly 
about Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers is as good an all-purpose back as there ever was. You hit on it, the returner. The returner. Mm. He might have been as good of a returner as we have, as this league ever saw. Yes. He was as brilliant a ball carrier as anybody who's ever done it. Uh, 68 games. 68 games because of knee injuries and a first ballot Hall of Famer. Michael, he is the gold standard for you yes, know yes. it when you see it. Whenever we talk yes. about somebody, if they're a Hall of Famer, if their career ended today, we're talking about the Gale Sayers rule. About like, okay, he, did, he, he the longevity was not on his side. wasn't his fault. Knee got shredded. But, man, if nobody was ever better at running the football. Still got the record with six touchdowns against San Francisco in 65. Last thing I'll say about this, Michael, I think it's the last thing, depending on what you say. I was born in 1979, but I actually did grow up watching Gale Sayers. And, and I'm not talking about Brian's song. I'm not talking about, you know, Billy D. Williams and, you know, playing out uh, him and, and uh, playing uh, Gale Sayers and Brian's song. By the way, also one of the most respected and admired men in the NFL yes. community, Gale yep. Sayers. Yes, but the reason I say I grew up watching him is I remember watching NFL films video with my grandfather and my uncle. And I remember the clip like it was, like it was yesterday. And it was Gale Sayers and that grainy footage looking at the camera saying, give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need. And next thing you know, it's just this, 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 and this. Like I watched this. So I watched the film of him growing up. And so when everybody, anybody says something about the best backs of all time, if you're just talking about pure ability, you got to start yeah, you gotta, with Gale Sayers. Yeah, you got to put him in the conversation. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about it too, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned the NFL films part of it because it's the great thing about this era, isn't it? That anytime you hear a name that you're not familiar with, anytime you hear about somebody who's not from your era, chances are you can go to NFL films, YouTube, anywhere, and look at some of that footage. And I would just recommend... For those of you who think we're exaggerating about Gail Sayers, just check him out. So, uh, Gail Sayers, rest in glory. Uh, what a wonderful life and a wonderful career. Yeah. To quote Biff Tannen, from Back to the Future, well, looky what we have here. The Western Conference Finals is 2-1 now. It's this close. Not for Anthony Davis, your favorite player, from being 2-1 yeah. Denver, except it's 2-1 uh, L.A. right now after last night. Uh, Jamal Murray went off, went smooth off, and his coach, Mike Malone, said this after the game. I think what I've seen from Jamal this year, aside from the growth defensively, which has been tremendous, and, uh, and just I'm so proud of him in that regard, but now to be, I know every night what I'm getting from Jamal. You know, last year it was, we knew what we were getting from Nicola. What kind of game will Jamal have? That's no longer the case. We have two superstars. We have two superstars in Nicola and Jamal and a lot of other really good, young, talented players behind them. Superstar, Mike? Is that facts? Jamal Murray, a superstar? No. No. No, it's not a fact. I mean, he's a, a talented he's a talented player who has the ability to go off every now and then. I mean, I, I shouldn't say every now and then because that, that seems <laughs> Going like off a, a lot in these playoffs. Mar- <laughs> seems, like, seems like I'm marginalizing him. I'm not, I'm not yeah, doing that. Yeah. Like he, what he did in Game 7 against the Clippers, big, got to have a situation. He's over 40 points in a Game 7. So he can do that, and that's not a surprise. But a superstar 
is a player. You want to talk about know it when you see it. A superstar is someone where the coach doesn't have to stand there at a press conference and say it, and then you talk about it on a show the next day to ask if the coach is right. <laughs> like a super, right? A superstar that's is one definition. Okay, yeah. That's one definition. Be, I like yeah, that. There it is. That's one. Of, that's like a fourth definition right there. That's, <laughs> right. If if Jamal Murray were a superstar, everybody would have looked at uh, Mike Malone last night and said, "Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, right. Why are you saying that? Yeah, we well, know. maybe. Well, 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 maybe Mike Malone is telling you, Michael Holly, that he has arrived and it's time to start calling him a superstar. Maybe that's what the purpose we'll was. We'll see. We'll see. It usually, I mean, something something usually happens there where everybody can just see it. There's some turn. Maybe it's a Maybe it's these playoffs because I think Denver, now I'm about to make people in Denver mad, but hey, so be it. Um, (laughs) Denver knows what it's like to be down three games to one. They did it in their first two series. They're about to do it in this series too because they're they're about to go down. Okay. They're about to go down. They're about to go down 3-1 to the Lakers. say so. And then we'll see what happens. So maybe that's it. Maybe we see the superstar, superstar Jamal Murray once again, back against the wall and brings his team back for the third time in the postseason from a 3-1 deficit. Because I, I think... But you need to see more. I, I, I like the Nuggets. I like the Nuggets a lot. But I don't think they're quite ready. I think they're a year away from, from <laughs> representing the Western Conference for a while. I think they're one year. One year. That's it. Is that, is that a bad okay. thing to say? We might, we, do we, it. No, no it's, not a bad, it's not a bad thing to say, but based You'll on be there in the last two games... Based on the last two games, we're one week away from you having to take that back because based on the last two games, they're going to win this series. They, they, just, just from what, what we're seeing right now, the way that, the Lakers may be leading this series, but they are not in control of this series, if, if that makes sense. They may be, they may be sending two L.A. favorites home. It doesn't, it but it sounded no good. Sense. you got to admit, it sounded good. It, it did. Sounded I like the way good. it sounds. The delivery it sounds was great. Hard. A lot of times, it's not about making sense, and it's certainly not about talking loud. It's the authority with which you deliver your take. Doesn't have to be right. That had to be accurate. You just got to <laughs> deliver it a certain way. It's, it's just the right. right delivery, okay? But no, seriously, um, he's playing like a superstar. How's that? Because the Orlando bubble is what is the best we could do for the biggest stage right now. It's still the NBA playoffs. It's still the Western Conference Finals. It's not on the road. It's not the usual set of circumstances. But it is the only place he can prove himself. And it is the place where we judge superstars the most. And that's what you do in the postseason. In this postseason, 250-point games, Four 40-point games, five 30-point games, 26.6 points, 48% from three, and six and a half assists. Yeah, uh, a game just to put out the numbers that he's putting up. But a superstar, see, this is why I'm going to agree with you and say, no, he's not a superstar, even though he's putting on a superstar-like performance, is everybody, it's almost like, it's like top five conversations. It's like MVP conversations, like top 10. Everybody can't be in it. And if you start calling any and everybody a superstar, no disrespect to Jamal Murray, then it just waters down the definition. It's as though we do not, we're not satisfied with star. What's wrong with star? star? Player. He's I'm okay an with an star. Star is a, please call star. me a star. All, all I'm okay NBA with star, player. all star. All I'm NBA okay player. with that. Everybody can't be a superstar. Let me just run down these names to you real quick. Just real quick. Mitchell, George, Paul, Tatum, Embiid, Butler, Jokic, Dame, Doncic, Kawhi, AD, Harden, LeBron, Giannis, Kyrie, KD, Steph, Clay, Draymond. Draymond on TNT. Some people might call him a superstar given what he's accomplished. Russ. And here's what I mean. 
the reason I throw those names out. Let me take, let me focus on Paul George. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, there might have been <laughs> people who called right. Paul George a superstar. Crazy. Ask people right now That's what crazy. they call Paul George a superstar. So here's the other part about a superstar, Michael Holly. Once you bestow it upon somebody, you can't just yeah. take it back. It's there. So you got it's a Supreme Court justice-like yeah. appointment. It's lifetime. You can't just take it back and be like, oh, he was a superstar last season, right. but not anymore. That's right. So we got to be See, careful like when we give somebody that, that title. Right. Superstar doesn't have a shelf life. Superstar, that's exactly. usually, you're a superstar. You're usually there for about 10 years. You're there for a decade as a superstar. Yeah. Now, a star player has a, has a shelf life. So I think, I think Paul George is right in that crawl space. All right, last year, he was in that crawl space between star and superstar. Now, the L.A. Clippers certainly treated him like a superstar when they were trying to get him from Oklahoma City. They gave up their entire future for Paul George. I know they said, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But Sam Presti says, yeah, you paid me a lot to get uh, Paul George from me. He's not that. He's a star player, and now you start to wonder if he's a star at all. But, but back to Jamal Murray uh, and, and the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. If they've got two superstars— and the Lakers have two superstars with LeBron and AD. And the Lakers win this series in five or six games. What does that say? Are you saying your superstars failed? Are you saying that, you know, it's just their duo is better than our duo? They got the best player in the game. It's unfair. Like, how do you look at that? I don't, I don't look at it as two sets of superstars in this series. It's it, yeah. emerging stars, emerging stars. There's another and maybe one. Another, super, and maybe one superstar. And maybe there's one superstar in the series, and that's LeBron. That's, that's a great point because I, it's, it's a lot of things. It's not just stats. It's not just on a hot streak. It's not just one postseason. It's a, it's a body of work. It's, it's doing it consistently over an extended period of time. It is it's elevating your team, which Jamal Murray is doing right now. You know, yeah, it's is. elevating your team. Uh, you know, to the highest of, of, of heights. And so... Can I call yeah, you it out, just, man? It's just, it's, just, it's just too loose. We're too loose with it. Yeah, you can call me out. What's up? All, can I call you out? That's what we do. Bro, that's right. what brothers do. What? What's up? Now, listen. Now, now you're right. You're right. When you, you talked about some of the things that I got wrong, I did get them wrong. Well, one of them I got wrong. One of them. We'll, we'll see. Uh, you called me... Uh, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. I may have called him a loser once upon a time. I may have done that. Yes. Guilty. Guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty LaBelle. <laughs> no disrespect to the diva. No disrespect. Stop, remi- stop reminding people of that. Stop, stop saying that. Like, just let people try to forget Gladys about that. Gladys Knight. Where, by the way, where's, where's Patty LaBelle in the top 500? <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Okay. See, not, see, <laughs> where, you ain't right. You ain't right. You ain't right. Where is she you on that right. top you 500 file. list, bro? Don't where is she? And where's Gladys? I know Gladys is probably on there, and it's probably higher than Patty. Anyway. What's your point? Uh, what's your point? But here's my point. <laughs> you said I said something I didn't say yesterday. I don't know where you got this from. You're like, hey, Michael, you probably called Luca overrated. I didn't call him overrated. What I said was, after he made a shot in game four of a first-round series in bubble basketball, live from Lake Buena Vista, Florida, said nobody ever, all right, so he makes a shot in bubble ball in the first round, and we're going crazy. Like, it's like the greatest shot. We're going all Magic Johnson Twitter on this shot. And I said to you at the time, if they lose the series, they lose the next two games, nobody's really talking about it. 
And that's really what happened. So I got great respect for Luca. I see this top players under 25. He clearly is the best player in the league under the age of 25. I have never said he's overrated. I think some of the reactions to playoff shots, especially in first and second round games, are just over the top. They annoy me. So it was a first round series. He made a great shot in the first round series. They lost the series four games to two. Next. Okay. See, that's the tone. It's the tone. Let me tell you something. Oh, yeah, it's tone. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like I, th- I, I talked about that. delivery. My mama told me this a long time ago, mm. right before she slapped the piss out of me. My mom used to tell me this. <laughs> it is not what you say. It's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And when you say stuff like, oh, it was a first round shot. It was a very shot. Move it on. was. I did, so it it's yeah, like I did it on they, purpose. Yeah, I did it on purpose. You know, it's exactly. But then you go diminishing it. What it was was Luka Doncic on a postseason stage against the heavily favored Clippers, who, yes, they eventually succumbed to, announcing his presence with authority, okay? And the the article you're referring to, I think it was uh, Hoops Hype, polled 15 league executives, including four GMs, and they talked about the players under 25 that they want to build around. Unanimous choice was 21-year-old, first-team All-NBA performer Luka Doncic who still ain't figured out how to shoot consistently from the outside yet. Wait till he does. Um, what's also interesting about that list is Jamal Murray wasn't on it. <laughs> I don't believe he was on it. Um, yeah, that's but interesting. No, I feel like, but, I do, but I do feel like just on Luka real quick and on your trying to have it both ways, basically, saying that you love Luka, but you was hating on his shot. Because, see, what a lot of people yeah. don't understand is those photos from that COVID photo shoot we had in Lynn, Massachusetts, um, those photos, I, I'm not starting to make jokes about that, but inside, inside yeah. joke, inside joke. How they, ha- um, how they have us out there, man? How they have us out but there? But those man. photos, those photos are from a conversation, you know, that we were having when you were trying to tell me why everybody getting so excited about Luka Nostra's shot. It's no big deal. They're going to lose the series anyway. Yeah, they did. But it was, it was the, it was talking about knowing when you moment. see it. Everybody knows that in very short order, this is going to be Luka's league. He didn't, hey, get, he didn't he get on the first team All-NBA just because Listen, a couple other people stop. were hurt. He's going to be a fixture and a mainstay on first team All-NBA. Yes. Luka was incredible last year. L- last year he was incredible. Now, I, I, I saw him and I said, oh, he's got it. See, that's what – and it kind of goes back to that superstar conversation. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, I, I think I'm willing to go there right now with Luka Doncic. He's a superstar. Yeah, he's a superstar. Yeah, he is he's a, a superstar. He's a first-team has, All-NBA talent. Has, has, hasn't years gone old. deep in he the playoffs, but there. he's a superstar. Yes, he's there. He's there. So, like, that start and uh, that, that shot did not validate him. That shot didn't take him to a, a to the next level. It was a great No, it but great it's part shot. of it. It's now, part of the portfolio, is it not? It's part of the portfolio. I guess. Big shots I, and, and big moments. I mean, we just saw it with Anthony Davis – the other yeah. night in game two. Big shots and big moments. That's part of their portfolio. Clutch. Western Conference Finals. In the Western Conference Finals. I'm not equating the Western Conference Finals with the first round. I'm just saying that's part of okay. the journey. It's part of, you know, like the shot. What round did Michael Jordan hit the shot in against Cleveland? What first round was that? First round. Okay. okay. There it is. So, so, you know what I mean? Like you, can't, you can't get to the second round if you don't win in the first round. Granted, they didn't to win in the first win round. Like the first round of playoffs isn't important. The series. To win the series against, I'm not equating opponent. it. It's, it's it's apples to oranges, but fruit nonetheless. Simply saying that the shot Sounds didn't matter. Too. It was a big playoff winning shot, and it's part of the portfolio of what makes a superstar. Just like you got Jamal some- Murray is is you know it's a conversation worth having because he's doing it on the biggest stage. You've had some nice poetic flourishes today, you know. Have I? 
Yeah, that's nice. I mean, I that was like a nice phrase. Hey, I got a good night's sleep last night. I had, I, I got a good night. Look, Michael, I had a good night's sleep last night because I had four fewer rebounds than Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVel McGee combined. So I got good rest. Go ahead. I'm oh, listening. see, that's that's just hating. That's just hating. Now, see, now no, you hating on Anthony I'm Davis. Just point, I'm just pointing out a number. You talking? You talking about how this is foregone conclusion? Like it's just this foregone conclusion that the Lakers are going to win this series. Like, okay, they, you know, it's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, I, I got okay. I got to bring this up to you. I got to bring this up to you. Go this ahead. is something that uh, bothers me, uh, Mike. Why do is this why a green bubble? People, is this a green bubble? No, is this is a green bubble. It's not a green. This is not a green bubble. This okay. is. A question. Why do people call the NBA a black league? Can you tell me that? Why is it called a black league? Because of the I think players. people should. Oh, 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 well, okay, the, the players. The players and the style. The players and the style and, and the culture. Okay, players and the, the style. Okay, well, yeah. the culture, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting because um, so there, there's never been a black NBA commissioner, right? Never been, a, never been a commissioner in the, in the, in the league who's, who's African-American. Uh, I don't know who, if, if Adam Silver uh, looks at his, his uh, board of directors, if Adam Silver looks at his, his, his joint chiefs of staff, who, is, who would be, is there anybody black who would be? I mean, there's a, black, there's, a, there's a black deputy, there's a black de- deputy commissioner. Okay, all right. I mean, Mark, so, Mark Tatum, there's Mark Tatum. All right, know, so, so there's, never been, there's never been a black commissioner in the league. Yeah. Uh, black, on, black ownership is pretty scant in the Michael NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, black Jordan general Bob managers, Johnson, yeah. not a lot Bruce of black Robert general Twain. managers in the right. NBA. And now we got how many How many black head coaches? The five? You can count them on one hand. I think it's five. Yeah, you can count them on one hand. So in other words, two more than baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so baseball's yeah. got three black managers. Nobody's called baseball yeah. black league. Uh, yeah. Football... Had about three, I think three uh, black coaches in football, and they're so four, um, them, yeah. they're so conscious of it that there's something called a Rooney League, a Rooney Rule, to 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 yeah. right a wrong because like something's going on with your hiring practices. So why am I bringing this up? Because the Chicago Bulls hired Billy Donovan, and I don't have any I don't have an issue with Billy Donovan uh, just overall, but just right. but look at this, you know, Mike. You realize, um, you know how many black coaches the Chicago Bulls have had in their history? You want to take a guess? Uh, zero, right? Have One. they had any? One. One, okay. For 96 games. Mm-hmm. So they had Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright, ah, Cartwright is the of course. Yeah. only black coach in the history of the Chicago Bulls. And I started thinking about it. All right, so look at this. Hey, look at look. So Tim Floyd was there winning 20% of his games. Jeez. He had more than 96 games that, that Bill Cartwright had. Scott Skiles, Jim Boylan, Vinny Del Negro, Tom Thibodeau, Fred Hoiberg, Billy Donovan. Uh, Look at that. Tom Thibodeau, uh, as you can see, Thibodeau was great. So it's not like, hey, go out and just, just hire a black person. Just hire a black person and, and, and keep these folks quiet. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I think it, it takes it, it requires some it requires some reflection. It requires some introspection. Like why are you at this point? Why why is your organization? Why does your organization have this history? Is it just a coincidence? Because if if, if I'm having this conversation 
1995, you could tell me to sit down and shut up. Hey, Phil Jackson is our head coach, and if you can find a better head coach uh, than Phil Jackson, uh, more power to you. And Michael Jordan doesn't want anybody but Phil Jackson. But I'm not talking about Phil Jackson. I'm talking about post-Phil Jackson. They've had one black head coach, and they had him there for 96 games. So they brought him in. He was one of their own, a champion. They didn't give him much of an opportunity. They didn't give him as much time as they gave Tim Floyd, who was horrible. So yeah. uh, Theo Epstein, who we both know, Mike, uh, Theo Epstein, uh, the president of the Chicago Cubs, when he was here, uh, he was in Boston. I, I think Theo was one of the smartest people that I've ever had, ever had the pleasure uh, to interview. And he said in the spring, he said, I got to start thinking about my own hiring practices. He said, why is it that I've had opportunities to hire and I've only hired, I think he said, uh, one black farm director. So he's never had a black general manager. He's never had a black manager. And so that is part of it. And I think that's a good question to ask, but that's a good question. Now, are you ready to deal with the answer? Well, Once you start doing that work, what's the answer? Yeah, no, you said a lot there, and, and it's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought this up because it takes us back to a conversation that we weren't able to have um, when it was happening in real time was the hiring of Steve Nash by the Brooklyn Nets and the ensuing conversation about white privilege. First of all, shout out to Steve Nash for managing that masterfully. Steve Nash has always been an ally in his own, in his own regard, and he had the appropriate response to the conversation saying, yes, my white privilege did have something to do with me getting the job. One of my favorite phrases, two things can be true at the same time. And that conversation devolved into white privilege is at it again. No, it's not. It's got nothing to do with white privilege. Everything's not about race. It's like, wait a second. Hold on. Steve Nash can be hired by the Nets. And by the Nets, I mean Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because of his brilliant basketball mind, because of his experience, because of his relationship with Kevin Durant from their time with the Warriors. It could be a legitimate hire. And there could also be precedent for players, specifically black players, having no coaching experience, but being ex-players, no coaching experience, maybe they have a stop in television, go on to be a head coach. All that can be true, and white privilege can be a very real issue in every sector of our society. Because ask yourself, the people who say race has nothing to do with it, why do black people feel like black privilege was, or white privilege, excuse me, was at play. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because you just pointed it out. In the blackest of, of leagues, the blackest of corporations from a cultural standpoint, from a connection to the culture standpoint, right. you can count on one hand how many black head coaches there are. And it seems like and the Mark Jacksons and, and general and managers. And owners. Of course. Well, yeah, you don't even have to, you have, to you, you have no fingers and count on one hand how many, you know. So anyway, um, but the Mark Jacksons, the Jason Kidds, all the examples that were used to counter Steve Nash, those are more often than not the exceptions. And it always feels to black folk. We, 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 you talk about before, things being in place before we took our first breath. You said that earlier. It was true before we took our first breath. One of the first lessons we we're taught is we got to be twice as good just to, get a, just to get an opportunity. And that we're held to a different standard. And so, yeah, Steve Nash can be, quote unquote, deserving. Billy Donovan could have a great resume, but look at the amount of coaches waiting in the wings, no matter whether you're an ex-player ex deserving, 
whether you're a uh, an assistant coach, an analytics community, which has not been historically inclusive, but nonetheless, right. a video guy. Look at the amount of coaches and amount of coaching prospects waiting in the wings, waiting for an opportunity who don't get it, no matter what their background is, who have to wait and wait and wait and wait. And so there is something to be said for Steve Nash's qualifications and his fit. And I think he's going to be a good coach. And even if Steve and somebody said this to me, yeah, right? we got to look at the said, process. Well, look, so we, got, we but definitely. Let me, but let me say this real quick. Let, yeah, go ahead. Somebody go ahead. said this to me when I when I was explaining to him how both things can be true. And I was like, instead of lashing out against the mention of white privilege, ask yourself why black people feel that way. What about our history? What about this society? What about the process and our hiring practices? Uh, what about it makes black people default to a feeling of like, okay, here we go again. There's there's validity to that. There's facts to back that up. What I was saying to the person who said, well, listen, you can't play that. Somebody, a friend of mine said, you can't play that card all the time because if you pull that, if you pull the race card, which I hate that phrase, but if you oh, pull goodness. the race card and Steve Nash succeeds, then you lose credibility. I'm like, bull crap. I'm like, no, that's not, that has nothing to do with it. Steve Nash can win five championships. White privilege still exists. It's no different than when, when somebody claims police brutality and the facts maybe suggest that that's not exactly went down. Oh, well, that undermines your argument. No, the hell it does not. There's still police brutality. There's still white privilege. And so Billy Donovan might be a good hire. He might be successful more than that list you laid out. But it's still an issue that, as you called it, a quote unquote black league does not elevate black people beyond a certain point. We got to stop calling it that. Let's stop calling it that until the league earns it. Well said. Okay, um, since you decided to bring it up, and you asked what for I bring it, up, what I bring to, up, you want to take you want you want to use a conversation to to throw some more shade at uh, at Patty Labelle, Rolling Stones top one hundred singers of all time. Patty Labelle is number ninety five. Gladys Knight is fifty one. Now you could you can interpret that a couple of ways. Fifty one is Gladys Knight. Patty LaBelle is 95 according to Rolling Stone. Like, okay, whatever that means. Yeah. You can interpret okay. that a couple of ways. Number one, of all the people who've ever sang on God's Green Earth, Patty LaBelle is in the top 100. Yeah. That's how I choose yeah. to look at it. There was never an argument. If you made me choose between Gladys and Patty, I'm taking Gladys. But I just can't, I can't get with the disrespect. Disrespect that you're heeping upon Miss <laughs> LaBelle. Okay, disrespect. that's the part. That's disrespect. where I got to draw the line. And, I, and I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to stand for it no more. I, I'm not going to say it. This is the last time you're going to fix your mouth to disrespect my Auntie Patty. Okay? Auntie Patty. So, you know. So, yeah. You asked the question. Those, 51.95 great, according to Rolling Stone. With those great pies. Those great pies. Fantastic. That's good, man. Yeah, you, you, then we got some DMs. We got some DMs here. I was looking at oh, oh, my Oh, Love DMs. Supreme is number 66. Love Supreme is number 66. That's the answer. Love Supreme and number 66 on the top, top 500 albums. That's interesting. Number 66. So you're saying there are 65 albums better than Love Supreme? Do you, do you buy that? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I told you it was my number one. I don't. But that's what, that's what we're being told. That's what we're being told. Um, and you, want, you, so want, look, you, want, you want to talk to some folk? I would love to bring in some company. I've been dying to get this dude on the show. Uh, one of the preeminent NBA insiders in America right now, Yahoo Sports, Chris Haynes, also of TNT. This man does it all. He is the people's 
NBA insider, senior NBA insider from Yahoo Sports. Chris, what's good with you, man? How are you? Guys, man, thanks for having me on, man. And I, I wish you guys nothing but success on this new journey, man. This is big time what y'all doing, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Appreciate you, Thank man. You. Listen, thank uh, you so much. I want to start. I want to start you off with with how we started the show. The biggest story, uh, at least in our world today, uh, is is no charges being uh, brought against the officers involved with uh, Breonna Taylor's killing. At least no charges related to the death of Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. I want to start there with you. A, how do you feel? But I'm asking you a double barrel question, as we call it. A, how do, how do you feel in response to the news? But B, you've been in the bubble. You've been right there in the midst of this movement of athlete activism that's taking place in the NBA's Orlando bubble. How do you think they're going to respond? Because they've been calling for justice for Brianna. Not that the system once again said no. I, I'm actually curious to see what the next step is that the players are going to take. So how do you feel? How do you think the players feel and how are they going to react? Well, me, me personally, I, I'm numb right now. Um, obviously, this is something that I think a lot of us expected. Um, I think we were kind of given a hint. I believe it was the Republican National Convention, one of the conventions recently where it kind of hinted at an outcome like this um, in today's presser. And so, um, you know, it, it's sad. It's, it's definitely unfortunate, um, you know, too often. This is something that we experience uh, too, too, too many times in you know in our lifetime where people of color uh, do not get the justice they deserve, and um, this is another one of those incidents. Uh, with yeah. that being said, as it as it relates to the players, you know I, I expect you know one of the most outspoken guys, and I've been proud of him for for speaking out. He's a young brother, you know you guys know him all too well in Boston, Jalen Brown. He's one of mm-hmm. he's been one of outspoken brothers here and trying to make sure we keep the message of lot alive as it pertains to to social justice and racial discrimination, racial profiling. You know, he's been one of the fig, main uh, figures here in this bubble. And so he plays tonight. Uh, they play the Miami Heat tonight. So it'd be interesting to see what he says publicly because he, I'm pretty sure he will speak about it. But I think for for the most part, this was a verdict that. A lot of people sadly expect it to happen. It's yeah. it's at this point, Mike, that uh, you know, it's like we've been here before. And so now exactly. what I'm hoping I'm hoping that we keep uh you know, there's been progress that has been made over the last four or five months. You know, for the first time in my lifetime, I can say that I've seen some cops held accountable, probably not to the extent of that we want, but definitely uh, to a greater extent than what we're used to um, doing this, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I just hope that we we keep the foot foots on the necks of these politicians, judges, and the uh, judicial system to to make sure we continue to hold them accountable. Hopefully, we can do something more. You know, Chris, I, I want to ask you just to, to follow up on that. You know, some of the players uh, led by the Milwaukee Bucks initially. Uh, after what happened in Kenosha, said, okay, we're not going to play. And then, then uh, self, the playoff games were, were postponed for a couple of days. And there was a sense that, that some people didn't really want to play. How about now? I mean, we're in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. Just based on the conversations that you've had, do you get the sense that players are committed to playing or is there still some hesitancy about being in that bubble when all this is happening in the world? Well, there, there was always hesitancy about, about playing. 
Um, you know, guys had reservations before they even got to the bubble, uh, feeling like if they play entertainment, if they provided entertainment, uh, that it would drown out uh, the positive things that's going on in society as it pertains to people of color, color receiving justice. Um, with that being said, you know, that Milwaukee Bucks uh, boycott, you know, they're the team that started, and I give them all props to it. Um, this was something that was in their right in their backyard, so they felt they needed to take a stand. And uh, but it left all the other teams in a vulnerable position, having to choose what do they do moving forward. And so collectively, you know, it ended up being a boycott. And so the I'm not going to say concern, but I, I think what's going to be an issue moving forward. First of all, I don't I don't see a play stopping right now. I don't see that. But if play were to stop. The issue that will come up is, okay, what is it going to take to re, you know, to to get back to playing? Because that was kind of the problem LeBron James had when the boycott happened initially. He was like, okay, the Milwaukee Bucks, you guys did this and, and it forced us to sit because how are we going to take the court after you guys are sitting? Now, what are we asking for now? You know, what is our goal to be able to rejoin the court? What what are what are what are our demands? And so they, they, they worked some things out with the league and got some initiatives approved. And the owners are going to do more, invest more money into and things that's going to elevate the black community. So now it's like if they stop play, what's the next step? You know, are they stopping mm. play for good or are they stopping play? And then, like, who? what are you asking? Like, are you going back to the owners to ask for something? So that's the, the kind of complexity uh, about yeah. halting play again. And that's why I, I don't see that happening this time around. Yeah. Um, so on the court, you mentioned um, let's, let's let's do that. We haven't talked about Celtics Heat today. Celtics Heat play game uh, four tonight. Um, I said when the Heat were up 2-0, that even though we've seen teams come back from a 0-2 deficit, I don't see it happening in this case. And then the Celtics go and they do their thing in game three, and Michael Holley is doing a praise victory dance. Because, oh, now it's a series. Now it's a, I told you. I told you it's a series. But okay, got it. How do you see these Eastern Conference Finals uh, playing out uh, from this point forward? Guys, I, I still think it has the, the possibility of going to this. I really do. I think when you look at the first two games Miami won, you know, it wasn't really any large margins in either game. And so both teams are right there. But I think Miami, he, they just made enough winning plays down the stretch to pull off those games. And then we saw what Boston did in game three. And so it, it was, it's, it's one of those scenarios like, if I saw the Miami Heat was up 20, and, you know, two or three times throughout both of those first two games, then I, I, can, I can easily say that, you know what, I just really feel like from top to bottom, Miami Heat are just better. But the mm. games have been so close in all three games, and even though Miami has pulled them up, it hasn't been easy. You know, like I said, it's been plays that a stretch. Jimmy Butler in particular has made some, you know, key plays on the offensive end and defensive end that's kind of helped seal those, seal both of those games. But um, then, you know, bounds block as well. But, I, you know, I, I think it still has potential to go to distance. This is a team, getting Gordon Hayward back and talking about the Celtics, this is a team who yeah. is super talented. They're versatile. They can go with different lineups. So I'm not I'm not ruling them out at all. I you know I I still will favor Miami just because what Good. I've seen. Through, yeah, I will favor them. Hey, but hey, but Thank don't you. don't Thank take you. don't hold on hold on Mike don't don't take this <laughs> 
don't take what I'm saying to Vegas and put all your chips. No, I'm not saying that. I, I, you know, I'm not. Don't lose your money now. I, I'm just I'm favoring them simply because yeah. they're up. <laughs> it's simply because right. they're up. okay. Okay. <laughs> Who's the uh, right, Chris? Who do you think the best player in the series is? This this Heat Celtic series. Who's the best player? It's tough, guys. Look, I, I, I'm gonna go with Jimmy Butler. I'm gonna go with Jimmy Butler just because on both ends of the floor, he's one of the you know, top five players, maybe even higher than that when you talk about players that can do it on both ends. Um, but look, you know, if you look at Miami Heat, the way they've been winning all throughout this postseason, it hasn't always been Jimmy Butler. You know, it's been Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, you know, bam. And so they got a lot of guys who who can, you know, put up buckets and make timely shots when it matters most. So I'm going to go with Jimmy. But look, man, you can't dismiss – Jason Tatum out there. You can't dismiss Jalen Brown. You know what I mean? Like it's like it can be any. It can be a number of eight different players who can be the best yeah. player, <laughs> which depending on the game. You know, so it's yeah. tough. If I had to pick a pick a player, obviously I got to pick up the multi. You know, multi All Star right. Jimmy Butler. Well, a lot of talk about uh, him not getting MVP, but we know who the best player in the world is. That's still LeBron James until further notice. His Lakers up to one, but just like the Eastern Conference Finals could easily be 2-1 Denver based on, you know, the last couple of games. Are the Lakers in trouble? And if not, why not? Because I believe they are. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're in trouble, Mike. You know, even even the even last night game, you know, that I was at, um, the Lakers were in cruise control. It really like it, it, and I would it was kind of baffling to me because it seemed like you want to get this Denver Nuggets team out the way. You know, I wrote about it. It was kind of the lead of my story. I was like, the Denver Nuggets almost got the Lakers right where they want them. You know, they're one loss away from being down three one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's when they make their move. And so you cannot sleep on this Denver team at all. Uh, I, I still think Lakers obviously are in the driver's seat. I think they're more talented. I think they're going to be much more aggressive in the next game. Uh, but, you know, Denver, I, they're resilient, hard-fought team. You know, it's funny. Like, when you're at the game, you got the Lakers bench. They're rowdy. They're talking trash. They're taunting Dwight, Dwight Howard. Howard. Yeah. yeah. Marquise Morris. And then I was sitting over there by the Denver bench um, last night just quiet. Like, they, they just go about their business and they do it well. And so, you know, I'm not, it's funny. I remember when Paul George, I believe they were, uh, let me see. It was 3-3 in the series, Clippers-Denver. And they asked Paul George, you know, how do you feel? He was like, well, <laughs> you know, we, I, I wasn't surprised. It was something he, along the He said we're in the driver's seat. That's what he said. <laughs> we're still in the driver's seat. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, hold on here. Y'all were up 3-1. Denver just won two in a row. There's no whole yeah. court advantage whatsoever, right. but you guys for the driver's seat. You know, I, I didn't right. understand that. Folks. Who knows where but, they're going? Right, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but in this case, I'm going to go. I'm going. You know, I'm going to go and say Lakers in the driver's seat. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Listen, talking about going about your business and just doing your job well, same can be said for you, my friend. Super, super proud right. of the work you're doing. Thank you for holding it down like you are, man. Can't can't thank you enough for taking your time. I know you're busy. You could be breaking stories right now. Thanks for breaking it down with us. Thank you. Uh, Mike and Mike, continue success, man. Anytime y'all need me, hit me up. Oh, we will. Uh, thank you, Don't Chris. worry. <laughs> Appreciate right. you. Thank we're gonna you. Take you up, we're going to take you up on that. <laughs>
Hey, I want to. Uh, can I stick with LeBron? Man. Can I stick with LeBron yeah, yeah, for a ahead. second? Because yeah, yeah. Because I know we're looking forward to what he's going to say. He and others are going to say um, if he hasn't already spoken uh, about Breonna Taylor. Um, so last night, unfortunately, and I, I get that the reporter was doing her job, but unfortunately, he was asked to respond to the L.A. County Sheriff. Uh, calling out LeBron James and asking him to double the reward for any information in connection with the shooting of, uh, of a couple of uh, Los Angeles police officers. And here was LeBron's response. But, you know, when you see the videos that's going on, and you can see the, you know, all over, the, not only you know, my hometown, but, you know, all over America, you continue to see uh, the acts of violence towards my kind. I can't do nothing but to speak about it and, and, and see... Uh, you know, the, the, the common denominator. Um, but not one time have I ever said, uh, you know, let's act violent towards cops. Um, I just said that, you know, what's going on in our community um, is not okay. And, and we fear for that. And we fear for our lives. Um, it's something that we, we go on every single day um, as, a, as a black man and a black woman and a black kid, a, a black girl. Um, we fear. Uh, we fear that moment uh, where we're pulled over or, or, or you know, you know, I just seen something, um, I believe, yesterday or the day before of a guy in Wisconsin uh, was renting a house and um, the next door neighbor called the police on him. And the police came in the house um, without a warrant, without anything, and, and arrested a guy, a black man, because uh, he was sitting out on a porch. Um, and if you can't tell me that's not racial profiling, then I don't know what the hell, uh, what the hell we're looking at. Um, but I do not condone violence towards anyone, police, uh, black people, white people, uh, anyone of color, anyone not of color, um, you know, because that's not going to ever uh, make this uh, world or America, um, you know, what we want it to be. So, um, and I have zero comment um, on, on the share. He handled that beautifully, as always. He did. But he shouldn't have had to do that. He shouldn't have had to answer that question. He shouldn't have had to dignify the question or the sheriff with any kind of response. He shouldn't have to explain he doesn't condone violence because we know exactly what the Fox News is of the world and, 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 and his attackers are, are trying to do, trying to deflect from the real issue and yeah. somehow place criminal activity, blame for violence against police at the feet of people like LeBron James who are talking about state-sponsored violence against black... That's nonsense. Exactly. States, and and, and I, listen, I'm the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm bringing it up in the case of Breonna Taylor. Because it's not this. It's not that complicated to, to hear what he's saying. That The fact that people still don't get that, that's so basic. Shout out to Michael Che, the stand-up comedian. He had a, a bit recently, he was talking about just how, how bare and how basic Black Lives Matter is. They matter. That's all. They matter. I mean, it, it drew laughter, but it was you laughed to keep from crying. Right. It's just, I say they, they, they just matter. How minimal of an ask is it for black lives to matter? And, if, and even become, now, be, now becomes controversial for some people. And that's controversial. controversial. Somebody, and I'm back against that. Yeah. Somebody, somebody said it. Uh, I think somebody said it best. Racism is so American until fighting against racism is characterized as anti-American. You know, Black Lives Matter isn't anti-white. Stop killing us is not anti-police. And yet, you see the situation like what happened with, you know, no, no charges in connection with Breonna Taylor's uh, murder being filed today. 
and people are going to still step back and they're going to look at the response and the uprising and, 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 you know, and, and the peaceful protests and try to vilify peaceful protesters when we're out of answers at this point. We're out of answers. And even when we do, when we, when we speak up about it, you got people on the right deciding to twist the conversation to benefit their agenda. So but, shout, but, you know, shout, but shout out to LeBron for handling that with yeah, LeBron. But I would say this, uh, you're right, and I agree. I think he handled it well. But I think there are a lot of people uh, who are so tied to their uh, political positions, they're not really having conversations with you. They're going down a list of talking points. So they got their talking points. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you say, they go back you know, go back to that home base of, of okay, I got to go, I got to cycle through my talking points, and I say that. I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I would suggest, and LeBron James handled it beautifully, I would suggest not even getting uh, caught up in that because you're not really having a conversation with somebody. All they're looking for is some area, some space where they can take what you're saying, take a phrase, uh, uh, take a couple of phrases and twist it around. Uh, and as I said earlier, this has been going on for a long time, Mike. You know, you mentioned Michael Che. Uh, Richard Pryor, one of his bits, like uh, years right? ago. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, the difference when black people get pulled over by the police. You know, mm -hmm. I am reaching Red into Fox the glove compartment. <laughs> you know, I yeah. have nothing. Red Fox before then, Richard Pryor, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I mean, this has been going on for a while. It's not, it's not a lack of understanding. It's not a lack of comprehension. It is willful. No, absolutely. It is willful ignorance. It. it is resistance. And so... The, the the question is how do you deal with that, and there and there's yeah. no there's no right answer for LeBron James. He he chose not to comment on on the sheriff's comment. Some people yeah. will come back and say, okay, well you're going to say this. I'm going to we'll go back and forth and get into a war of words. There's no yeah. right no, way. No that to that, that that willful ignorance is is the point here because you know you and you shouted him out earlier. We talked about it the last couple of days. Nobody has been more eloquent on the subject of systemic racism in this country. In this, in this country's, one of this country's original sin, the first was a genocide of Native Americans, the second was, of course, the institution of slavery. Nobody was more eloquent, eloquent than Frederick Douglass, specifically, what to the slave is the 4th of July. Nobody has been, has written about the struggles of the white moderate and, 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 and the pushback against protests better than Martin Luther King did in a letter from a Birmingham jail, which you have so appropriately called something deserving of this being a 67th book of the Bible. So this guy, this is there is nothing new to this. But what is but what can't what is kind of new? What is new? Once upon a time, people like LeBron. I said this last night to somebody. Once upon a time, people like LeBron were rare in sports. It was a rare athlete who would dare speak out on social justice and racial justice. That was that was taboo in sports. Every now and then they would come along, but for the most part. Hey, I'm, I'm just here to play ball. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, it's not just LeBron, your superstars, your faces of the league, your established players. It's your, it's your Jalen Browns and everybody in between. You know, George, George Hill. Hill. Yeah, there you go. You know, it's like so yep. many people. Yeah, so many people have found their voices or at least have realized it's time for me to use my voice. And, it, and look, it, generally speaking, but specific to athletes, it's not on black people to fix a problem we didn't solve. And, and athletes are far too often pressured with carrying a burden of, 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 of leading a movement, you know, against a system that, again, it is designed to work this way. But I don't mean to digress. My point is, though, what I love about LeBron, even though he should not have had to say that last night, even though it's beneath him and he shouldn't have to dignify it with a response, mm -hmm. there are, it's having a generational impact. 
because there are children, much like our parents or, or even uh, some of us grew up watching Ali take his stance, and we were shaped by that, and our, and our, and our mindset and our approach and our paradigm was shaped by the way Ali was an athlete activist, a citizen first. There are children right now who are watching LeBron and Chris Paul and Jalen Brown and watching how civic-minded their role models are, how civic-minded and how active and how politically engaged their favorite players are, and they're going to be inspired by that. They're yeah, going to be it. much more involved in the it. process than we were in the generation before because of the example. So when LeBron is doing that last night, there's some kids out there watching how to handle things with class, dignity, and, and most important, intelligence. And here's a question, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll be brief on this one. Um, the question is, can you have the, can you, can you find the type of job? It used to be, hey, find a job that you love, and if you can happen to make some money at it, even better. The, the, the number one thing is you're finding a job that you love. Well, I'm going to add to it, find a job that you love, and you can bring your whole self to it. So what you're saying Amen. is like these athletes who used to compartmentalize. Some of them did it because they wanted to. Some of them did it because they felt like they had to. But now you don't have to just bring bring everything that you are to the job. And, and some people will love you for it and some people will, will be turned off. But that's going to be the case anyway. Yeah, that's going to happen anyway. Just do your thing. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will really arrive as a show. Broadcaster Mike. We, 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 because I'm just so excited about what's coming on the other side of the break. I'm not even going to spoil it. Just don't go nowhere. Superstar, real superstars join us. Earlier, we talked about the moment when you've arrived. We're talking about Jamal Murray and what he's doing in the postseason. When you've arrived, Michael, it's safe to say we've arrived. We've now, arrived. This is called, How? A, How this is called a get. In, in the business, we call this a get. We got the one and only, needs no introduction, to <laughs> Taylor Rooks. Taylor Rooks is on the show from Bleacher Report and Turner Sports and CNN, I might add. I peeped you yesterday with Don Lemon and Chris Paul <laughs> and CNN. Oh Taking time out of her day to talk talk to our little show. Appreciate you, Taylor. Good no, you well, doing? first off, I am happy to be here. It is my pleasure. Michael, this is not a get for you. You are a friend of mine. <laughs> I was going to come on the show whenever you asked me. No doubt. Well, this is this will hopefully be the first of many visits. But listen, um, I do want to start, though, uh, on, a, on a disappointing, but, but for black people, not a surprising note. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the news that no charges were brought against any of the officers in connection with Breonna Taylor's killing back in March. Um, this, what, was your, what was your reaction to that when you first heard the news? Yeah, I mean, you know, you say gutted and you absolutely are gutted. But I think the thing that really saddens me is that this feels so normal. And the way that you said, you know, it's not that you are surprised. Why are we not surprised that there is no consequence to murdering somebody? I just hate that we see this over and over and we know the outcome over and over and we have to be okay with it. And that's not fair because I'm not okay. I'm sure you guys aren't okay. And it just pains me that we live in this country that is forcing us to be okay, even though they don't even see us as that way. So, I mean, it's hard. It's rough. And the thing that I always say to people that I read in a book, and it reminds me so much of what Black people have to go through in this country, is they were bringing up hummingbirds. 
and they said that hummingbirds move around so much and so fast and so hard, but they stay in the same place. And I think for so many years, Black people have been hummingbirds, working so hard and moving so quickly, but not moving because the surrounding like isn't allowing you to. So I just hate that this is what it is for Breonna Taylor. Um, but I am sending so much love to her family, to all Black people, to you, to both of you, sending your extra love and the city of Louisville, everywhere that needs it. But it really is just, it's sad. And I hate calling this a tragedy because tragedies are unavoidable. Uh-huh. This was like, this shouldn't have happened. This was devastating. So it's just, it's sad. You know, uh, Taylor, Michael brought up uh, the interview you did with uh, Don Lemon and Chris Paul. And this is part of the, the conversation. You know, NBA players have been trying to figure out, like all of us have, like, what do we do? What, what, what can we do in this situation? So, uh, you know, based off of that conversation, is there anything you could you draw from that conversation when we start thinking about the strategy of what to do next, next moves, anything that you draw from? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of things. The thing that really inspired me the most about the NBA players was the fact that they understood the power of their voice, you know, and the power of their actions. Sitting out was a very powerful thing to do, and it caused this ripple effect to so many other leagues that kind of understood that there was more that they could do. But there is a power that lies in all people, you know, whether you are a famous person, whether you're an athlete, like we all have the power as long as there is this unity and it is a collective effort. The biggest thing to me that the NBA had on their side wasn't the fact that they were these rich and famous athletes, it's that they stood together. Because when they all decided to stop playing, that is where that that change in awareness came. And I just wish if we could all really mobilize directionally, right, with a goal, with that goal of tangible change, like that is how you get things in motion, you know? So I just hope that that's what everybody could take from the NBA players. Also, the focus that they put on different topics. You know, there was a topic on voting, on HBCUs, on financial literacy, on police brutality and social justice. Like, they all had things that meant something to them. They wanted to learn as much as they could about what they could. And so I just think it's that education and really that mobilization and the unity. We really are stronger together. Uh. Speaking of strong, Taylor, you've been on quite a strong run here. You got Take It There. You got Beyond the Basis. Uh, We mentioned the CNN uh, voting discussion with Don Lemon and and Chris Paul yesterday. Saw you in the New York Times, Miss New York Times. (laughs) I love this quote from you, uh, this profile from the New York Times on you. You said, when I'm interviewing people, they understand that I'm asking questions to understand. I'm not asking questions to criticize or judge. And I think that mentality, that approach speaks to why you've been so successful when it comes to not just getting access to players, but getting them to open up in ways that they don't typically do with other journalists. And I only ask you, I bring that up to say, one of the other things I appreciate you about you, how genuine you are, when you first went into the NBA bubble, I remember your post, you talked about what an experience this was, what an opportunity it was. 
You don't look at it as weird or this is going to be an inconvenience or I'm sequestered or isolated or quarantined. You're like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Now that you're out of the bubble, generally, whether yeah. it's the activism, whether it's your blog, the interviews, whatever it was, what's your biggest and most fondest memory of your time in the NBA bubble? Oh, my goodness. Good question. There's there's so many things that I just like run through my mind about the bubble, but... I would say the protest probably sticks out the most. And if it's not the protest being, you know, as pointed at that one event, it was the Jacob Blake moment. The thing that really runs through my mind often was when, you know, <clears throat> I asked Fred VanVleet, just how are you doing? Like I run through what he said all the time, because in that moment, I realized like we don't ask athletes how they are. And like, why don't we do that? Like, why don't we ask them mentally how they're doing? If we knew all of us in the bubble, you know, people were struggling with the fact of like being isolated and not being near the people that they cared about. But the basketball players are dealing with that, you know, on top of the weight of having to like solve racism for the country and then playing basketball games. And Fred Van Blee came and sat in front of us, like tears in his eyes. He was clearly emotional but all we were saying was like, are y'all going to play? What are you talking about? But nobody was just like, how are you? Yeah. So I think the, the thing that really sticks out was when I asked him how he really just unloaded with this like two minute long response about how this has affected him. And that sticks with me because I really just think we should ask the people that we cover more often how they're feeling and how they're doing mentally. So it was that whole week of Jacob Blake that I think will stay with me from that bubble. You know, Taylor, that's a great point that uh, how are you doing in the bubble? Uh, we were just talking yesterday uh, about uh, LeBron James on Instagram, where it's a picture of his family. And he says, I just miss y'all so much. It's killing me. Mm -hmm. and, and I talked about that with Mike. I said, man, it's just like we can relate to that. Just a father looking at his kids, just missing the mundane, just the ordinariness yeah. of, of life and saying, you know, being here uh, is really killing me. But I want to ask you a question, and I hope you don't get mad at me over this. <clears throat> if this is Atlanta, about the right? Falcons, what is this about? <laughs> How'd you oh, know? man. Oh, How'd you know? man. How'd you know I was going there? Come on. Listen. Is it that obvious? I knew. What is it? I, tele what I just it? telegraphed it. I te How do you That's deal great. with it? Thank this? you, Mike. How, How do you deal with this from the Falcons. I just want to know. I, I'm, I'm going to take, take a Taylor Rooks here, a page out of the Taylor Rooks book, and say, I'm asking to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Not to judge. Well, you know what? Since you framed it that way, and I was going to um, no, it's rough. I'm not kidding when I say I legitimately think we're cursed. Like that. I'm not like a woo-woo, like in the stars person. Like I don't even really believe in like horoscopes or anything like that. But I think the Falcons are cursed. There is no way this should happen at such a high clip. But it, it, it's really crazy. Okay, get Jerry and then, Jones. And then against the Cowboys. <laughs> and then against the Cowboys, Taylor. It's like the only team that would have been worse for you to have to deal with that from would have been the Saints. To get it from the Cowboys, you had to listen to Cowboys fans, Taylor. My Is heart that, goes out to you. Even seeing the images. Okay, this is my question for you guys, though. Do you think this is more embarrassing than what happened 
in the Super Bowl or no because it was the Super Bowl? I think no. it's worse, personally. No, I think stop. it's worse. I kind of do, no. too. Like, honestly, I what? kind of do, too. Listen, I kind of do, too. And I don't know that. if it's because the, the fact that it's it. happening again. I don't know if it's because yes. it was a difference between, you know, playing the lead of the Super Bowl not it's the onside knowing kick. the rules. It's the like, kick. do they just not it's know the, the rules? Kick. It's the onside yeah, kick. That image yeah, of a ball just rolling, that's the Falcons yeah. history in a nutshell right there. That's it. Just, <laughs> we just going to watch this go. <laughs> I, mean, oh, wow. just, I think it's the manner the in which we blew it that makes mm-hmm. this a little bit worse. It's really bad. It's bad. And I'm. Super this Bowl, is though. like the Super Bowl. when something continues to hurt won. you, you should leave. You but should. I can't leave. You deserve better. You deserve better, Taylor. <laughs> you know that, right? You deserve better. Yeah, I oh, do. It is. I mean, it's like, I know you've seen it a lot, and, and we weren't going to roll any kind of film, or so we weren't trying to show pictures. Uh, you know that that right there. If there was, if if if, if the Falcons were Get a photo, it. that's it. Get on the ball. That's it. Right Get there. the ball. I saw someone Taylor. tweet. Someone tweeted. They're like, "All right, they're taking social distancing too seriously." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Okay, that was funny." I admit. Oh my goodness. Like I don't oh like you, goodness. but I admit it was funny. <laughs> Got to laugh to keep from crying. Taylor Rooks, listen, sure. thank you so much for coming. Uh, can we call you again? Because you are definitely our sister from another mister. So yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. Anytime. Oh, you, you know so I got you, Michael Smith. And now I got you, Michael, always. You call yes. me, I got that's you. My, that's my favorite space partner right there. That's what I'm talking yes. about. Yes, we don't come back. When the world opens up again and there's another space tournament, we coming for the crown. Absolutely. 100%. Thank you, Queen. Appreciate you. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate you. Bye. Great to see y'all. Yo, speaking of Taylors, we got to get to this story. May May I? I I don't know if you have something. Okay. Tyrod Taylor. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Okay. So wait, let me make sure I get this. Let me make sure I get this right. Now, because it all makes sense. Because remember when Anthony was like, yeah. You get it right. You get it right. Because the the Chargers certainly didn't. Oh, exactly. So, when they, after the game, because you know Tyron Taylor got scratched, injury in warmups. We're like, who gets hurt in warmups? Who has a chest injury in warmups? So it was weird to begin with. Justin Herbert has a great outing. We're like, okay, well that's it. You know they drafted him six overall. He's a quarterback. Then Anthony Lynn comes out and he's like, well, if Tyron's healthy, he's our starter. We're like, bro, why? You know what I mean? Okay, here's why. So he had cracked ribs. Took a painkilling injection before the game. The team doctor accidentally punctured his lung. Man. And so now, Come on. Justin Herbert remains a starter. Wow. Listen, Mike. Wow. It's part of, and it's, oddly enough, 19 years ago today, you know what happened 19 years ago today? Brady replaced today. Bledsoe. Brady replaced uh, Bledsoe. Okay. All right. So I believe that you can lose your job to injury. People say you can't lose your of job to injury. I believe oh, you can. Of course you can. Yeah, you can. In this case, what do you do if you're the Chargers? I know what you do if you're Tyrod Taylor. You file a grievance. And Georgia Tyler from the NFL Players Association already hinted to as much on Twitter saying, oh, yeah, we've been in touch with the agent and the team since Sunday. So he's got a nice grievance coming because what do you do if you're the Chargers? If you stick with Justin Herbert and you're to Rod Taylor, you're like, hold up, hold up one second. Yeah, eventually I was going to have to pass the job. I was going to have to pass you the six to Justin Herbert. You took my job away from me. You took my I, job yeah. from me and compromised my livelihood because of yeah. your incompetence. Yeah, this is it's it's really an unbelievable story, and there's already uh, Mike. Uh, and here's a tweet here from George. 
friend of the show, uh, George Atala. Our medical and legal team have been in touch with Tyrod and his agents since Sunday collecting facts. An investigation has been initiated. Look, there's already a fragile relationship between team doctors and players. 100%. Now listen, 100%. And look, it's, it's, it's the medical profession, so you, you respect them for having uh, a knowledge base that you don't have. You're a player. Most players don't have that. But on the other hand, they are working for the team. And so in judgment calls, you're always a little skeptical. Are you saying this because it's best for me or is it best for the team? And that's why uh, every, every member of the union, every member of the NFLPA has the right to get a second opinion or a third opinion yep. away from that team doctor. But this is why that, that, that tension exists. I mean, this is an extreme example, but it's always in the back of your mind. Why is this happening? Why are they telling me to play? I feel like there's something going on with my, going on with my knee, going on with my elbow. They're telling me I can play without aggravating it. Aggravating it. Is that uh, correct information? And if I do get that second opinion, will that be held against me, even though right. that's my right? So there's a lot going on here. Uh, I think Tyrod Taylor. I feel sorry for Tyrod. And, yeah, he's he's going to wind up with, with uh, some money. I think he is. Well, but it, well, and he should because it's, they're costing him money he could potentially get from another team. And he's, you know, underappreciated. And I know he has his flaws, but was the last good was the last good quarterback that Buffalo had before Josh Allen, obviously, and he's playing really well. But, you know, took, took that team to the playoffs, but wasn't valued in Buffalo. Now, and we know in Cleveland, he gave way rather quickly to Baker Mayfield. Again, number one overall pick. That's how that's how it goes, you know. And in this case, we know he's keeping the seat warm from Justin Herbert. But man, to see him go down like this, if I'm Anthony Lynn, I almost feel like I gotta put him back in, no matter how well Herbert plays. But you can't do that. Man, you can't do that though. You can't do that. You can't between a rock, he between a rock and a hard place. What you're saying? Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. You can't put him back in just because your your team doctor screwed up, and now you're making it. He did something wrong. It provided an opportunity for Herbert, who was going to get the job. I mean, they drafted the guy sixth overall, so it was only a matter of time. I know, but but you but you I thought know. you thought Terod gave you the best chance to win coming yeah. into the season. It looks like Herbert Herbert looked better in week two than Terod looked in week one. I get it, sure. But if you're Anthony Lynn, yeah. we talk about team and we're together and commitment. It's not his fault. Anthony Lynn didn't administer the pain killing shot. But how do you how do you just say Terod? Hey, sorry, man, them the breaks. You know yeah. how, how do you it's do tough. that? That's that's the. You can't. Oh, by the way, I just want yeah. to just throw this out here. And I don't yeah, know why this didn't sure. come up earlier. You told me about your lovely daughter, Maya. And I love this story, Mike, how she falls asleep to John Coltrane. Mm -hmm. Guess whose birthday is today? John Coltrane. Happy birthday, it's John. It's Train's birthday? We yes, today, September 23rd. We should we should know that. It's also my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Michael hey. Smith first. Mike so, Smith. You know my pet peeves. Yeah, what's up? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you look like uh, that look on your face. I know that look on your face. That means, yeah, that, that, that look, well, not that one. That's kind of goofy. But the other one, <laughs> the other one was, you got something for me. You got something yeah, you want to share do. with me. What is it? What is I it? do. I do. I wish, I, I wish we had more time. Um, but before we go, I want to recognize a real anniversary. You know I can't stand the annual anniversaries. I, random okay. numbers. Today is the 20th anniversary of Remember... The Titans, Denzel yeah. Washington, Coach Herman Boom, which gives us an excuse to just give Denzel Washington some flowers. You said something about LeBron that was interesting yesterday. You said LeBron never had a bad season, which is true. 
Denzel Washington's never made a bad movie. I mean, if you look look at his list of I don't know, of I don't know, but wait a minute. Some are wait better than others. Come on. Some are better than God. others, but I don't know that he I made If he made a bad movie, I ain't seen it. I ain't seen it if he made a bad movie. Name have you seen movie. all this? Have you seen every Denzel movie? I think I have. I what think was so. the one? Oh, man. Do not, don't, I, what, I, which one? I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because I love Denzel so much. I don't even want to point I know. out the don't, flaw. Don't, don't, don't Patty LaBelle, Denzel wanna... Washington, please. No, no, no. no. Please Denzel don't Patty LaBelle, Denzel. Denzel, okay, Denzel, yeah. nothing, nothing. I got nothing bad to say about Denzel. Okay. You're right. Uh, yeah, remember the yeah. Titans. I'll tell you off the air, and then we'll bring it up tomorrow after okay. we talk about all the wonderful Denzel performances. And Give me, give me your top five. For Denzel? Top five Denzel. I, num- number, yeah, one, top five. number one, I can just tell you, Malcolm is X. Malcolm X. Malcolm X. At, the at, at the point, definitive biopic, the best biopic of all time, Malcolm X. At Hands one down. point, Hands at one point in the movie, I don't know if I can give you top five because I can go back. There's some, there's some underrated ones, like a soul, like he wasn't even like the lead guy in a soldier story. He was young Denzel. Yeah. That was like uh, well, I think early he won best season. supporting actor for Glory. You know, he was great um, in Glory. I go, yeah, Remember I go Malcolm Titans, X. I go Crimson right? Tide. Crimson, Crimson Tide. Tide, another great one. Training Day has got to be in there for us. <laughs> Some of his recent ones, <laughs> right. Flight and Fences. Flight and Fences recently Ooh, fences. are brilliant performances. Oh, um, Fences were strong. And You and, know what doesn't get greatest, love? You know, what's that? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was no, going to say, as great, great as he was in Fences, uh, Viola Davis in Fences. Oh, Ooh, Lord. Was, I, you, you want to talk about Ooh, iron Lord. sharpening iron? Yes. Oh, yes. Woo. Yeah, oh, look, that hurricane. I mean, we can go down the list. But you know what doesn't get love? In Denzel Washington, the ass, it's Denzel Washington, the ass kicker. Denzel Washington in Safe House. Denzel Washington, the equalizer. And you know what yep. doesn't get enough love? is the Book of Eli. Book of Eli does not get enough love. Brilliant movie by the Hughes brothers. You know, someone was just telling me about the Book of Eli. Was it you? Was it you haven't you? seen it? So, you I haven't seen, seen it? it. No. Oh, my God. But, but speaking of... No spoilers. Of, just please watch it. All right. Don't, don't, don't give me any spoilers. Uh, okay, how do you feel about ahead. Inside Man? Denzel and Inside Man. Eh. Loved Inside Man. Loved Inside Man. Clive Owen? Loved Inside Man. Oh, I, I'm surprised you didn't mention. I, I'm surprised you didn't mention. Bleak. Bleak. Mo Better Blues. You play, you you play again? <laughs> you play again? <laughs> I won't sell it. I won't sell it, Bleak. I still. <laughs> I, I, still you were, I thought uh, you were yeah. up. Give me a movie recommendation. Hey. You said you had a movie recommendation for me. Well, the reason I wanted to make a movie recommendation to you, and I don't know if you've seen it. So there's a rumor, just a rumor, that Tom Cruise is going to play Iron Man in the sequel to Doctor Strange because it's a multiverse type of situation. Have you and your kids ever seen Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, yeah, of course. And we actually watch it again. Phenomenal movie. Again on Friday. Great. But how about Tom Cruise's Iron Man? If anybody can hold it down, Tom Cruise, he almost got it over RDJ. Did you know that? I know. I saw it. That was amazing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.